Welcome to the Motorsports in Focus podcast. I'm your host, David Santiago, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe McKinney. Hope you enjoy. All right, and we are back, and we have a lot to talk about this week. There has been a couple races, most notably the Dutch GP, and I'm actually really excited to talk about it. Yeah, I am, I am as well. I, there's a lot of racing, for sure, but the, there's one in particular that stood out. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, first of all, Joe, how are you doing? I'm just fine. How are you doing, David? Doing pretty good. Um, excited uh, to talk about this with you, and I have to ask, what were your thoughts on the race? We're going to start with the Dutch Grand Prix? Yeah. Uh, I was proven right again. <laughs> I knew this it was is, coming. It, it is the best racetrack on the calendar every year. It is so good. There was so much action all over the place. Passing happened at every corner, seemingly. Um, the DRS felt virtually non-existent. I know it was there, but it, it felt relatively non-existent because there were so many other passing opportunities elsewhere. It, it, it was nice to watch a Formula One race that felt like what you wish all Formula One races were like. I would have to agree with that. I do think Zanfort is a great track, and especially this year. I don't, I've watched it the race a couple times now, but this year just felt like the cars were flying around the track. And it's just such an interesting track. Like, it's got some undulation. It's got some banking. I don't think there's a flat portion of the track. No. <laughs> and, and, yeah, the banking is amazing. I love the banking. Yeah, there's an utter lack of straightaways, too, which is so refreshing in Formula yes. 1. <clears throat> I think that's, that's it's, the worst part about the modern tracks are the straightaways. The straightaways into a chicane, yeah. back into a straightaway, back into another chicane. Yeah, a 90-degree turn into a straightaway that leads into another chicane, exactly. Yeah. Whereas here, we had flowing corners, all sorts of corners. Like, there's no downtime. It's crazy looking at the G-meters in the car when they have that uh, graphic up. And they're yeah. just, like, almost like a constant two Gs everywhere, peaking at, like, four or five. And it's just... that's That's got to be exhausting, for one. But... It's just nice to see, like, Formula One cars do Formula One things and not just drive straight, brake, yeah, turn, 100%. drive straight. Now, I think we would be remiss to not mention the weather and the insane inconsistencies that it provided. Yeah, the weather uh, that hit immediately. <laughs> yeah, it was very exciting, um, but there was a lot going on. I, I felt like the wrong call was made by everyone to start. I, I do, too. You, I mean... That seemed like, to me, you need to go on full wets. And whoever, if somebody had gone on full wets right away, they would have walked away with the race. And yeah. no one was willing to go on full wets. Now, granted, I'm no Formula One engineer, but... Well, the tire strategy was weird, too, because later in the race, Ocon <laughs> did make that call, and he went on to the full wets when everybody else went on to enters. Yeah. And it really didn't seem to benefit him as much as you would think. Maybe it was because of the red flag that came out. But <clears throat> I do agree. And, and as a Floridian, okay, and anyone who lives somewhere where you get legit rain uh and it that comes suddenly yeah exactly um we just had almost a hurricane come through luckily it missed us but <clears throat> uh you know when you see a rain shaft and you're like it is raining over there and you can tell yes. when it's coming towards you or not and maybe we just had the benefit of the helicopter camera but when they panned over to the rain that was coming i saw that and went uh that's 
that's a lot of rain. <laughs> yeah, that's what most would describe as torrential. Yeah, yes. they're like talking about enters and like, oh, should we switch? Should we stay out? I'm like, I, that looks pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, what I also, I swear that um, a lot of the cars ahead of Ocon, because I was like, okay, maybe Ocon's going to have a chance at winning this because he was on full wets and then they red flagged the race. I could have swore that like Verstappen came in with different tires and he left the red flag. Can you change tires in the red flag? Am I missing this? I, I don't believe you this can. Being a rule. I believe you can because the red See, flag stops the race. BS. Yeah, it kind of is and kind of isn't. I think it's because depending on how long, like if it's red flag for like two hours and everybody's on wets, but then the track dries, I guess it's to prevent. It's like you may as well just start everybody on dry tires again. Or if they're on dry tires and it rains during the red flag i guess you can start on wets but at the same time if you look at what happens in an actual race i don't really see what hazard that causes yeah so i i I pretty much entirely disagree with with the sentiment of being able to change under the red like if even if there is an excessively long red flag and you're set still and now you've got a dry track that was your decision to go on wets and then they red flagged and now it's dry and you are going to be penalized for it. Just the same way that Ocon was essentially penalized yeah. because he went on wets earlier than everybody else. And then they all come out and they're like, yeah, we decided this is the right thing. Yeah. So, and, and then Perez made I, a stupid move and came into the pits when it was likely that they were going to throw the red flag <laughs> and then doesn't get any kind of penalty whatsoever. And yeah. they had to have known that was coming. And then it's like, oh, but we'll just let him go around and start in fourth or fifth or whatever right. it was. Yeah, he just ends up. Now, th- apparently there's a rule in the rule book that says that they need to go back to the last full lap or something like that. Oh, the whatever uh, the positions were. Yeah, the announcers had made some some sort of comment about that. I don't remember what it was, what exactly it is offhand. But yeah, it was just like it kind of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, grinded my gears to see Ocon get screwed over for making a decision before everybody else did and then the red flag comes out and everybody else is allowed to copy him with no penalty yeah i, I do uh, agree with that yeah. it's like that's that's not that shouldn't fly like just listen you if you go ahead and take you make the, the decision to enter the pits you need to to either reap the benefits or pave the consequences regardless or like just in depending on the, the decision that you made and if that means that, you know, you got half the field all of a sudden going like, can you imagine in an event where you had the uh, sort of the opposite of what we had this time, where it was raining really heavily, they red flag, a bunch of people got on wets, but the guy in like 15th had not yet gotten off of the slicks and is like, okay, let's do this <laughs> and just can rip through the field while everybody else is just burning their tires up. Like that's like, that's fun. That's the type of stuff that we want. That's the kind of like, for lack of a better phrase, that's the chaos that we need. In the, yeah. in the sport like I, also, I didn't i didn't agree with the red flag to begin with though yeah i was gonna make a comment on that as well because <laughs> formula one has become so risk averse in the wet and i don't know if it's because of the drive i mean to be fair i have never understood how they race in the wet because the visibility is so bad but i saw it yeah. as like extremely impressive that they did it anyway and now every time it rains, I'm like, oh, man, the spray's getting kind of bad. We should red flag it. And it makes me think, why do we bother with the full wets? Like, if, if every yeah. time you need the full wets, the spray is so bad that you don't, you're going to red flag it, then just don't race in the rain. Like, 100%. 100%. I, I'm, I'm a little confused about that. Like, uh, the only time I think you should ever be red flagging is if you're on full wets and you legitimately cannot see. It's now a, a, an absolute caution. But we're on enters and they red flagged. Yeah. 
That or that's I can not right. Yeah, I can understand aquaplaning like there's legit puddles and the track's not drying. That's one thing, you know, because there's just nothing you can do about that. Um, well, yeah, but there's nothing that the endurance vehicles can do around Sebring when it rains and you got puddles. What they do is find new lines. No, I agree with that. I mean, I'm talking like extreme scenario of like legit, like not just a puddle. If there's a river across yes. the track. And yeah, no like draining across it, the track. Yeah, but yeah, but but yeah. Every when I saw that, I'm like, oh, they're gonna red flag it because it's it's freaking raining. And then uh, uh, the alpha went into the ball, and it's like, yep, there it is. And sure enough, I mean, they gave him time to repair the barrier and stuff, uh, I guess. But and that maybe it was like a competition red flag because we don't want to see this end under yellow because they did take a long time <laughs> to move those barriers back in place. Yeah, they did. Considering yep. they also weren't damaged, uh, really, or it didn't seem so. But yeah, I, <laughs> just race in the rain, damn it. <laughs> You want to know how to solve this uh, red flag because they don't have the fuel to finish under the circumstances what? issue? What? Allow them to refuel. Oh no, I'm not even talking about fuel. I... No, but that's what I'm saying. Is like a lot of the times they they can't they have to red flag the race because if they if they just ran behind the safety car even in the wet there where they would be theoretically clearing the track with their tires, the reason they can't do that is because if they run more laps than what they've planned for the 72 laps oh, that they yeah. were supposed to run is it they run out of fuel well that's not a problem if you have fueling yeah well that or if the race ends under yellow i mean i agree with that like i don't like the race ending. i don't like yellow. the race ending under yellow either but what you can do is just say all laps under the safety car currently are negated as far as laps towards the race they are just laps that you're driving your vehicle yeah these the cars are not it's not like they're significantly decaying the tires by driving 60 to 80 miles an hour whatever it is 120 miles an hour around the corners versus no. their typical 190 yeah not or, at all you know like the the tires are not going to notice those handful of laps under under safety car so it's it's always comes back to the fuel load they so effectively plan for the fuel load to to get them exactly as far as they need and it's like you know, you solve this issue of not finishing under yellow, not having to red flag randomly by simply allowing them to refuel. Yeah. Or requiring them to refuel. Yeah. I will say, like, going back to your point earlier, too, where, you know, it seemed like the teams had trouble choosing what tire to be on and what's calling the strategy. I also thought that was a little bit weird because what were they looking at that they were like, oh, yeah, we'll just throw some in. A lot of them were trying to stay out on slicks. Yeah. Like, I don't know who saw that rainstorm, looked out of the pit garage, and was like, oh, yeah, you know, the track is completely flooded, um, but it looks like a small shower. We should be able to get through it in the drivers. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I need enters now. Yeah, you know? well, what, what kind of baffled me about that whole thing is the fact that the rain entered turn one before anywhere else on the track. So it's not like it was out of the sight of yeah. the pit wall. Yeah, like, it was they, right there. They were fully aware. It's not like it's on the other side of the track where they cannot see it because of grandstands or something. You can see it. Yeah. So what, like... <laughs> they were literally watching it pour, seeing the rain on the radar, and, like, physically getting rained on, and they were like, yeah, we can stay out on slicks. Just just, yeah. just hold out, man. We'll, just a couple laps. You'll be fine. <laughs> right. We'll be fine. What, what, could, and what then, could go wrong? And then when Perez went on to the inters, he was, like, something like 14 seconds faster a lap because everybody yeah, was going was... so slow on slicks. Right. Yeah, he was flying. And that, but that's that kind of baffled me because it was very clear at the time when uh, Verstappen was coming through turn one 
or down the down the main street and into turn one that they needed to be on some sort of wet tire compound, whether it was inters or, or full wets. And they like he and <coughs> excuse me, Alonzo, they all just went right past the pits. And you're like, I, I mean, I'm no, I, I guess I get I have a great vantage point. I'm no strategist, but no, like, <laughs> this is the wrong call. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing, man. I literally watched that had that same moment where I was like, I don't know. It looks like it's raining pretty hard. I mean, even if it's, but see, the thing is, even if it's a a small little cell, right? Let's say it rains for 10 minutes, something like the track's not going to dry immediately. I don't know who these people are that are looking at the radar for the teams that are like, oh yeah, as soon as this cloud passes, the rain is gone as if the track is no longer wet, (laughs) you know, like I. I, just very strange. These guys have so much experience. They have so much uh, resources at their fingertips. And it, it seemed like they made that call based on the idea that, oh, this cloud's just going to pass over. And it's like, yeah, but everything's soaked. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. what do you... Yeah, it was, it was a very heavy rain, even if it was for a short period of time. Yeah, it's You still got, yeah, you still got problems. But I, that's... They seem to do this every time in the wet. They do. You know, any anytime there's rain, it's like they the Formula One is so confused. Yeah, they really can't make up their mind. And then some, when somebody finally does go on to one of the wet tires, everybody does it. Um, but I remember at Monaco, Alonso got screwed because of the tire strategy and when to go on to the wets. Um, so, I mean, I, do, do you not? <coughs> excuse me. Do you not? Or should you not immediately defer to the driver that's driving around the racetrack? I, it's, I, I, that's that kind of baffles me. Like I, I, I gotta feel like okay, he's the one driving around the racetrack, gathering data with his own eyes. Yeah. If he's saying that we need to be on full wets, and you're going no, 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 it's the rain will pass. You're like the rain might pass, but, and yeah, I get that there's a delta with the pits and everything like that. But yeah, come on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's it's, the one seeing it. But there's more risk too. It's not just like, oh, here's yeah, the time if he gap. It, you're screwed. Exactly. So you lose even more time. And uh, you know, like Leclerc, for example, Ferrari got a lot of crap again because they didn't have the tires for Leclerc. Uh, the, well, that was entirely interest. his fault. Yeah, but even Leclerc in an interview afterward, he's like, he's like, no, people are making a big deal of that. It wasn't a big deal. He's like, the time we lost for the guys having to grab the inters was still less time than we would have lost if I stayed out on the slicks. So he's like, oh, yeah. I had to come 100%. in right then. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good call. It was just a really late call. Like, you need to you need to be in better communication with your team. I know yeah. it's easier to say, like, hindsight's twenty twenty, but... Yeah, well, that, and also, like, again, I, I like to imagine these teams, like, these are the superstars of the industry of the racing world, right? The teams, everybody, the mechanics, they're all top tier. Every single one of them should be the best at their given position. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't understand how the guy on the radar scope is seeing rain. It's raining on track. Drivers talking about rain. And why is there not a set of wet tires, both intermediate and full wets, ready right there in case he comes in? Yeah. Wouldn't you be like thinking like, hey, we should probably get those wet weather tires ready since, you know, it's raining and everything. No, leave them in the back. <laughs> Leave them in the truck. And, and you know, they would have known that rain was coming for a while, you know. They yeah, can see it. Are you also it. mildly concerned? I know, I know we're just nitpicking here yeah. at this point. But are you also mildly concerned with the absolute, like, 8-bit level quality of their radar that they yeah. seem to show? Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, like, dude, I watch the radar constantly. It's a very important portion of my job. The radar I use at home or on my phone, rather, is so significantly more detailed. Yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I saw those those shots, too, and I was thinking to myself. But again, even on the that crappy resolution radar, you could clearly see what was going on, at least. Yeah. You know, and they should have seen that it was, I don't know. Or maybe they just need more information about what's going on in the, I don't know. Very strange that they couldn't anticipate that at all, it seemed. And then, yeah, like you said, they just don't listen to the drivers. You th- you think if the driver's like, no, I'm going to lose this car unless we put wet weather tires on it, then you'd be like, okay, you can come in. Not be like, oh, come on, man. You- you'll be fine. Just just one more lap on slicks. You'll be all right. Am I crazy for thinking that the driver should have the ultimate call? It, like, it, I get that there's a, tra- a team principle, right? But ultimately, if it's it's a decision that doesn't have an effect on the other team or on the other driver in the team, then your call as a driver should be the final call. Yeah. If Alonzo has no effect on Stroll, which now that I think about it, I don't even know what the hell happened to Stroll. I don't even. He was nowhere. Was he even in? I don't think they showed him once, but he was way down there. Yeah. Apparently, he finished eleventh. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like if Alonso says we need full wets and it has no effect on Stroll coming in, if that's what he decides, d- does the team not need to simply go, yes, okay, fine, done? Because that's what it feels like to me. I mean, th- there shouldn't be any debate about what the driver ultimately says. Like, yeah. maybe they go, are you sure? But if, if the driver is definitively saying this is what I want, then it strikes me as the team is for lack of a better phrase should effectively be his slave right like this is this your job is to give him the tools to do what he thinks he needs to do maybe they're wrong and you can provide some insight that'll help him change his mind but ultimately if he is defiant and says no this is what needs to happen then just do it yeah yeah i don't know how the hierarchy works within the teams uh in terms of decision making it does seem the team principal has the final say toto and christian seem to have whatever whatever weight they want. Yeah. It'd be interesting <laughs> to figure that out though, because, you know, I, I guess it'd be interesting to, to see how that works in all sorts of different sports too, because you need some kind of leader, right? Who would be the leader of these, at these races? Like you said, is it the principal, like Christian Horner or Toto? Is it the engineer on the wall? It seems like they have this complicated web of decision-making. Maybe that's what leads to stuff like this tire debacle, where it's like nobody seemed to figure out what tire to be on and when. I mean, here's the thing is like we've used we've used golf a lot in this podcast to analogize between uh, from one sport to another. Right. Yeah. So that the way I see the way a team principal handles adverse conditions or a decision that is difficult and ultimately the drivers makes a call that's the equivalent of the caddy looking at the guy that's actually hitting the shot you know the tour player pulls the seven iron out and the caddy goes no here's an eight i don't want an eight i want a seven no here's an eight like i'm sorry who is the athlete here doing the sport yeah, that's... like it does. It does baffle me a bit that that the team principals are regularly, especially at a team like Ferrari, <laughs> yeah. where they are always wrong somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also no. that's just like the worst possible scenario. It's like, yeah, let's fill the dude who's actually doing the thing with doubt and confusion instead yes. of letting him own whatever decision it is. You know, and like you said, I think. 
I think that's a great analogy because the engineer really should be like a caddy. Be like, hey, here's all the information. What do you want to do? Yes. You know? Yep. It's shocking that it actually kind of doesn't work like that. And maybe they're just so busy in the moment because there's so much going on. But these guys seem good enough. And a lot of the experienced guys like Fernando will be making strategy. We've heard them make strategy calls before, question oh, strategy calls. So. And he, and here's the thing. is like it, we. It's easy to say it outside looking in, but... Anybody that's that's played or done anything at a very high level knows that it slows down. The more you do it, the better you get at it, it slows down. Yeah. So, you know, we, we see this sport as a ridiculously fast sport that they're doing these incredible things, and it looks mind-boggling to us. But to them, it's just another stroll, uh, no pun intended, yeah. <laughs> through, the, through the, the circuit. You know, you're just casually driving, right? There are times where they really need to focus, and you hear that over the radio. But I would imagine, on average, these guys are not sitting here, like, white knuckling their way around the track the entire <clears throat> the entire race yeah so for sure. they're able to make those kind of process like they're able to process things and make decisions i mean it's i i don't know i just don't get it i i don't i don't get the the constant debate between a team principal or engineer and a driver yeah it's very strange um i think overall though it like we mentioned earlier it was actually a really good race um I think probably the best race of the season for me. I actually I very much enjoyed watching it. And again, it was just so refreshing to see F1 on a proper old school circuit that didn't have a mile long straightaway. Yeah. Um, and also just the setting of Zandvoort on the beach like that. And also the fans. The fans are nuts. Yeah, they did are. You, yeah. <laughs> did you see any of the shots of the, the crowd? The, ch- the chanting in the red flag period yeah. like that they were all singing together was just Dude, awesome I they loved were it. partying legit yeah i there was a beer in every single person's hand and they were yep. playing techno <laughs> yeah yep yeah it was awesome yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i like my <coughs> excuse me my uh not standard because it makes it sound a little higher than it is but just sort of a, a a good idea of what a good race is is if they replayed this randomly in december i'd probably tune in again yeah agreed so it's like, all right, we just we had Canada, right? Would you would you tune in again no. in the off season? I don't even remember what oh, happened right. at that race. Exactly, but this race, you're like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I can. I'll sign me up. This was this was pretty fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And also, uh, Max equals the record for Seb, and or I guess matches Seb and Ascari's record for nine wins in a row. Is there any doubt anymore that he's the best driver in the world? No, and like, I was going to say... It's not close. No, it's just ridiculous because we've talked about Red Bull dominance in a lot of podcasts, but I, it's really not at this point in the season. It's no, just it's Max. Max. Yeah, because yeah. if you pull him out of the equation, then we had a fantastic mix of all the manufacturers vying for the top spot. Like if You, you pulled... had six different manufacturers in the top six, yeah, by the way. literally. And they were close. Excuse me, you had seven in the top seven. You had Red Bull, Aston, Alpine. Uh, yeah, Red Bull, six in the top seven. So Red Bull, Aston, Alpine, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren. Yeah. And even Williams is mixing it up at times. Williams was at eight. Yeah. Albon's been driving great. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, I think what you're seeing right now are the two best drivers in the world on the grid together regularly competing against each other. One of them is still not better than the other. Alonso is definitely the best, the second best driver in the world. I yeah. mean, I'd like it's as far as I'm concerned. This this whole season, I get Mercedes has fallen off a little bit, but this this just for me ends the argument between Alonso and, and Hamilton. 
I like I him Alonzo dragged multiple Ferrari cars yeah. to much better results that were worse than what Hamilton is driving in this Mercedes. I just Hamilton anymore just doesn't have the head for it. You know? Well, he never did. I think he used to. I mean, to. we could get, we could get in a a long debate and I don't I don't think we need to do that, but like any time he was in an adverse situation, he'd whine like a a baby and not solve it. Yeah, he didn't do that at McLaren though that I remember. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to really, I'd have to go back, honestly, but and watch, because I, 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 don't, I don't remember either. I remember he always outperformed the car at McLaren, in the later years of McLaren. But, but yeah, ever since he got to Mercedes, man, it's like any amount of, not pressure, but just like adversity. something. Yeah, some kind of adversity, and he's just, he's done. Like, it yeah. doesn't seem like he can overcome it. Whereas... Alonzo could just consistently and I think it's mostly attitude and it's mostly the attitude you hear on the radio as well Alonzo's like chill just takes information goes all right copy that good to go yeah and Hamill's just just complaining the entire time he's like man this car's right. got no grip I can't do this I can't do that I can't do this and did you see Alonzo's celebration on the podium how excited he was to oh, finish second? yeah like he was stoked <laughs> dude he had a better celebration than Max did who yeah. won like <laughs> At his home track, too, for to yeah. equal the record, you know? He was pretty chill, yeah. considering. Yeah, he was, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we need uh, more races like Zandvoort. It was fantastic. Yes, yep. The good news is the next race is Monza, which is uh, just an exhilarating track. It's, it's just the best. <laughs> you know, it's really funny because we just talked about we need more old-school circuits. Monza is a really old-school circuit, but... Uh, it's just straightaways like we complained so about. Bad man, it is such a bad track. I get the, I, I get the like, nostalgia isn't the right word, but like the the just this tradition and and yeah. kind of uniqueness to Monza. I understand it, but it it's a bad track. Like it was a bad track when it was implemented. It's a bad track now. That that would be like a hundred years from now. Bahrain is still on the calendar and everybody's like, Oh, Bahrain's such an old track. It's an iconic yeah. F1 track. You're like, uh, no, it's shit. And it was right. shit when it started. <laughs> it's like, it's like when you see, uh, like the Barrett Jackson, Barrett Jackson auctions on TV. And there's like some random car from the seventies. That's up for like $50,000. And you're like, are you kidding me? Yeah, like it's Brown on Brown. Yeah. You're like, who's, Paying that much money for that? It's just like that, where they're just like, "Oh, it's an old it's, classic it's car." Yeah, but um, only yeah. one of one ever made. It's like, <laughs> I, yeah, I can see why. The only one <laughs> optioned in brown with air conditioning and leather seats. Yeah, but oh, I could go on forever about how bad auctions are at times. I, <laughs> they're really entertaining, actually, for that reason. Um, but yeah, Monza. I think the Parabolica is a cool corner. The first chicane just ruins everything, though. It um, does. Yeah, it's it's so tight, man. It is so tight. And there's always an accident there. No matter yep. the series, there's an accident in turn one at Monza. And and then you see d- absolute dive bombs into that turn as well, which I think in Formula 1 isn't as much of a problem. But How, how, how is it that we have not found a way to incorporate the proper oval, though? Into Monza? I yeah, don't know. I'm, it's still there. Yeah. I think it'd be super cool. That was the sketchiest. By the way, there are a lot of things in history that you see, and you're like, man, that's sketchy. I don't know how they did that. But the reality is, like, even a lot of the stuff we do now, people are going to think that. And at the time, we were just like, yeah, it's pretty normal. 
But then there are some things you see in history where you're like, no, that's actually crazy. If you go back and look at pictures of the banking at Monza, that is actually crazy. There was, like, it's literally almost a 90-degree bowl, and there is no guardrail at the top. You go over the top of that thing, you're literally flying hundreds of feet in the air (laughs) at, like, full speed. And you're just like, that's insane i can't imagine doing that in like the 1930s in you know because those cars were really fast at that time it's just that you got to look up pictures of people on the banking at monza oh yeah it's it's wild absolutely i'm trying to see if i could find i pulled up the the wikipedia page of it i was trying to see if they had the actual banking degrees oh it's got to be it's got to be more now I kind of want to look a picture, but I'll let this, you find one. This this is um this is a perfect example of how how to determine whether or not this is a bad track. Eighty percent of the track of the lap is on full throttle. You know it's a bad track when eighty percent is full yeah, throttle. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I looked up some pictures. It's not as steep as I originally claimed. It, it's not Talladega, but these are Grand Prix cars going around. Yeah, like. And I also I can't find a period shot, like an actual period oh, shot. Oh, here we go. But, Approximately thirty degrees of banking. Yeah. But, man, those oh. guys were freaking nuts. I guess most of the pictures I do see here have guardrails, but I know for a fact I've seen one without the guardrail, which is, now I'm wondering where I saw that. I, likely at your previous uh, yeah. employer. I mean, uh, are... Yeah, so Talladega has a, uh, which is, is <coughs> widely considered the most intense uh, banking. Okay. Uh, is 33 degrees, so... So it's legit. It's a legit banking. Yeah, yeah, it's proper banking, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it'd be cool to see them run there uh, and be cool to see what they would have to do to make the tires work. But, um, but see, I don't know. I don't know, man. We're obviously wrong about everything when it comes to nostalgia and what Formula One should do because they're just going to do whatever makes the most money. And yep. I guess whoever wants to fork up the money okay no it's maybe i'm thinking of brooklyn's the banking at brooklyn's uh it um, doesn't ring a bell offhand i could look it up but yeah I don't, so i was just continuing to do a little bit of on podcast research there is so talladega is 33 degrees as i said daytona is 31 and monza's 30 so i i mean monza is a <laughs> is a nascar track <laughs> yeah pretty much but that does does that not don't you want to sit back and go like, yes, we should be using that somehow. Yeah, I just, I just want the tracks to have some identity, you know. Um, and I feel like Zan, that's what Zanford has. You know, there's nothing oh, else on the calendar yeah. like that track, and it's interesting to watch because of that. And that's why I kind of like Monaco because it's different than all the other tracks. And it's okay if you have one Monaco, you can tolerate one Monaco. But if you had like five of them, like we have five or probably more Bahrain type tracks. It's just yeah. like I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I agree. The good news is we do have Vegas towards the end of the year. Oh yeah, that's gonna be so great. <laughs> just wanted to make sure that was remembered. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited. To, to, to your credit though, it's like Mexico never ends up being a particularly good race, but is a very fun race to watch because of the baseball stadium that they drive through and you're just like, Yes, I love this. Right? I don't know why I love this, but it's awesome. Yeah. Like, it's just it's got that character. It's got something in it that that it gets you excited and you want to tune in every year to Mexico. Yeah, exactly. I think also Formula One has a way of uh, sanitizing the circuits with all their uh, sponsorship and stuff where they kind of look the same and they don't have 
almost like the tracks colors don't come out as much because you just see yeah. Pirelli and Rolex on everything. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big part of me that really wishes we could end up seeing a little bit more um like just actual terrain outside the track. Yeah. I know it's difficult to do with grandstands and whatnot, but it's like the nice thing about Zandvoort is you really got a feel for the fact that they were pretty much on the beach. Like yes. it was some asphalt that was laid on some dunes and on the beach. Yeah. And you could really see the undulation where they had the cameras positioned as well, which I really thought was great. The camera work was great this race. It was. Yeah. I don't feel like you could actually show what's going on in the background of most of the tracks that occur a little bit earlier in the season. Some might say. <laughs> no. Well, a lot of them I are. Feel- I feel like the things in the background are probably not something you want to put on uh, worldwide television. Yeah, yeah, I think I know where you're going with that. (laughs) So so they probably avoid those ones. Yeah. Um, But yeah, overall, Zandvoort was pretty awesome. We need more races like that. It just overall. Um, And yeah, so we'll switch over to IndyCar. Which had banking. Yes, it did. Stark <laughs> contrast to the Formula One. Time. Yeah, um, I have to say it was not such an interesting race. I'm biased no. though because it was an oval this week. Um, and I told Joe before the podcast, I wrote in my notes, "Oval's gonna oval," and I think that kind of summarizes the race pretty well. Yeah, you can yeah, just kind of imagine it. They yeah, there was drove there was 260 around. laps. Yeah, which and is one lot. guy led 123 of them. Yes, and if anybody went offline, they got into the marbles and crashed into the wall, like they were driving on ice. Which not, not to not to jump ahead, but I have to. It's just too good of a transition. Was the accident that Newgarden had the slowest of most yes. accidents you've ever watched? You're like he's he's gonna crash. <laughs> I'm still processing this because he's in the middle of crashing it, yeah, like, but he hasn't hit the wall yet. Okay, now he hit the wall. <laughs> there's part of you where like, wait, maybe he's not crashing. Maybe he's just driving straight for a little bit. And you're like, no, 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 he's crashing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know. what. How can you race when you can't, if you go offline to pass somebody, you have no grip whatsoever. That just doesn't work. And it's weird because like, it doesn't seem like NASCAR has this problem. Every time I see a NASCAR race, they're all over the place, side by side, three wide, you know, doing whatever. And then with IndyCar, maybe it's the tire compounds. Maybe it's the fact that they're just pushing uh, so much faster with the arrow. But I think it's the latter, yeah. But yeah, it's they really aren't suited to these tracks. And so, uh, yeah, it's just kind of follow the leader. To look at on this this uh, leaderboard. For, so Scott Dixon ended up winning, Pat Ward in second, David Malukas in third, Rossi fourth, and McLaughlin in fifth. Everybody within the top ten had six, or excuse me, five or more pit stops except for Dixon, who only had three. That's pretty amazing. That's a that's a hell of a of a run. I mean, he had three three pit stops. The only guy that had less than him was Takuma Sato and Kalamai Lot both DNF'd. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great way to win. Yeah, and I guess he got his win for the season. Or no, did he win? It's back to back now. Yeah, that's right. So he clearly was not. What What's interesting though, like, so they have the average speed as well on this leaderboard. So he ran a one forty nine point eight one nine as his average speed. Across the entire uh, race. Okay. Second place, Paddle Award, 149.39. So four tenths slower. Yep. As an average speed. 
but somehow with two more pit stops than Dixon had, only finished uh what is that i guess that's total time so finished 28 seconds behind him that is interesting Excuse me, 22 seconds behind him yeah hmm. that is really interesting actually because that that kind of puts into perspective that dixon was not the fastest but he got well there that's at the that's end. what you would think but his average speed would indicate otherwise now you're hurting my head now i gotta right? do math yeah that doesn't make sense yeah he did he his average speed was higher than anybody else's. But he, he spent had the less least time. amount of pit stops. But is but it his... because No, wait. Oh, he man. must have he must have pitted under under caution or you know, there's like that type of stuff must have come into into play. But yeah, I thought that was interesting to to see that he what? he really didn't win by that significant of a margin given the fact that he was the ha- the fastest driver on average speed and had by far like two less pit stops. I don't care what the delta is. Yeah, that's huge. That's a significant margin. Yeah. yeah. You would no. think that would be more than 22 seconds. You would think. But I guess if you think about it, it's averaging the time in the pits as well, or the speed in the pits, so that you pit more, your average speed's going to drop. But yeah. it also means that you had to pick up a lot more speed to get to the same spot as somebody who didn't stop twice. So Yeah. Well, here's something interesting, too. So Newgarden, as we mentioned, hit the wall. Uh, by the way, something to mention with Newgarden. uh had an opportunity to be the first driver in over a hundred years to sweep the ovals in a season. Yeah. And Including the Indy 500. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. But his average speed. So as I said, Dixon's average speed was 149.8. Obviously Newgarden hits the wall and comes in his average speed dropped three miles an hour. I would imagine it had to have been up there in the 149s because he was competing with all of the other guys also run running 149s. But for what half a lap? Yeah, he has to run real slow, and it shows you how close the driving really is on an oval. That that half a lap can significantly undermine your average speed. Yeah, it goes to show what basically on an oval it seems like you just cannot make a mistake. If you're just, I mean, I guess that's true in most circuits, but. Generally, like the more turns there are, more the more things that are going on uh, in a lap, you have time to make up time, you know. Whereas on the oval, it's like you essentially, when you really break it down, you got like two turns, right? You lift, you go through like the one and two turns, depending on the oval, and then you lift again and go through the other two. So it's like those are your two opportunities per lap to gain some ground. Otherwise, yeah. you're generally speaking on equal terms to everybody else. I didn't realize that every single person that races gets points in some way, shape, or form. Really? In Indy? Yeah. Yep. What does the last so, place get? One point? Five. Five. Wow. Yeah. Generous with the it's, points. It's, an odd, it's a really odd point structure, though. I don't know if this is for every race, but Scott Dixon got 53 points for the win. Pedo Award got 12 less and than And the dude in last got five? Yeah. Pedo Award got 12 less. That's why the championships never settled into the last <laughs> race. But So 53-41. 35 33 31 29 interesting what like why does it just all of a sudden group up like there's no if you get first or second great if you get third (laughs) ninth (laughs) you're you're only separated by two points that is weird yeah very strange but uh yeah man i feel bad for new garden to be honest uh it's a big bummer because it was it was just a an error that he made yeah and he's been so good on ovals all Although, year long. So I do good. wonder if the contact with Award 
may have damaged something. He had a little bit of contact earlier on before he went off with a ward, yeah. sort of hip-checked him. So I wonder if that may have led to that accident. Because it was a weird accident. Like, he got up a little bit in the marbles, but that thing just basically went... He it had no control. Wall. Yeah, it was really weird. It was, yep. But overall, a really crappy race. Yeah, would not watch again. Um, yep. Just, I'm not sold on the ovals, especially for IndyCar. So... And then after that, we have IMSA at uh, VIR. And unfortunately, it was another GT-only race, so that was kind of a bummer for me. I enjoy watching the prototypes. That is so ridiculous on VIR. I mean, we're talking, we, we've said it before on the podcast, that VIR could easily host F1 cars. Yeah, you know. Or Indy cars. You know, it's like, what, uh, I, what are we doing? Yeah, it's weird, though, because I know we've said that before, but after watching this GT race, which GT cars, right, they're out there slamming doors just having a good time racing close this race at vir was not that at all um there was not that much going on i mean there were moments but overall for two and a half hours of racing it wasn't uh that eventful uh and maybe like afterwards i was like what what happened there it was kind of like they were just kind of following the leader for the most part and maybe VRR is just, there's too many corners. And I've heard that before. Like, there's just too many flowing corners where you can't go offline necessarily because you're just going to, like, there's a set line for that section of track. And if you're offline, you're going to lose time throughout the whole section. But, yeah, not much happened, actually. Um, even though it's a beautiful track, it's entertaining to watch the cars drive on that track, you know, because there are so many interesting turns. But there was really only a couple places where people were making moves and otherwise through the S's because there's a lot of S's at VIR, they're just kind of following each other. So, and again, with GT cars, you don't expect that. I still expected them to be slamming doors, super close racing and everything. And it it really wasn't that the lead or the winner of the race was uh, Jordan Taylor and the Corvettes. And uh, that was decided in pit strategy or pit error by the, the Lexus team. So, yeah, it wasn't um, wasn't what I was expecting from GT cars at uh, VIR. Yeah, I mean, I, the way I see it is like it, it may be the case that there's a lot of corners and whatnot, but there's a lot of corners all over the place for Formula One. There's a lot of corners all over the place on IndyCar. Like they they regularly race tracks that have significant amount of corners. It, you can make an argument that it's a little narrow. Well, what, I mean, what the hell is half of the races in Formula One? Yeah, like there's just there's no excuse to not race there. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there's no excuse to not send the prototypes there. If that, you're yeah, that like, 100%. I, I just I, that baffles me because it's a you huge know, this, track. There's plenty of room. Oh, absolutely. And and the whole point of of VIR really has been to flex the muscle, the American muscle of like, look, this is our this is one of our best tracks. Like this is modern. It's unique. It's all over the place. It uses the the great rolling hills that a lot of the the American tracks have, and then they bring the second biggest series, third biggest series in American racing, and they go, yeah, don't 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 put the good cars out there. Yeah, yeah, not the premier like, top class. We'll just race yeah. the GTs on this it, huge it just track. Me. Yeah, and it <laughs> felt kind of empty because there's not that many GT cars this year. Um, I guess I shouldn't say that. The, See, it seems like that because the track is so big and there's just not that many GT cars to fill fill the track. And you're just kind of like, okay, well, 
I, I guess I'm okay watching well, the GTs. There's not even that many GTD Pro cars. There's a they, lot more they, AM cars. They have two paddocks as well. They have a north and a south paddock there, so they could very easily have the GT cars in one and the, the prototypes in another. Yeah, it's a huge facility. Yeah, it's very yeah, strange. There's, there's, there is no excuse to not have the, the prototypes there, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And uh, so, yeah, I was disappointed by that. And then um, the race was actually fairly uneventful, like I said. Uh, it was still fun to watch. Um, I always enjoy watching GT cars, especially after watching Formula One or IndyCar, because you actually see the cars move around and they can make contact and stuff. So it's always nice. But, but yeah, not super uh, crazy. Um, I'm hopeful for the future of GT cars in IMSA. But, yeah, I... And maybe it's just because I haven't kept up with the full IMSA seasons in the past. Typically, like I'm, I'm there for Daytona, Sebring, and then I kind of don't watch the rest because, um, you know, they're not super big or historic races like those two. I'm, I'm very guilty of that. Yeah, um, and I'm sorry. Like again, they did it this year with at Lime Rock too, where it's just the GTs at Lime Rock, and you're like, man, that. It, you lose something when you don't have the multi-class racing. I agree. I agree. I am not tuning into IMSA. Like, I like the GT cars. I always have. I enjoy them. But if I'm going to watch GT cars or some variant of closed-wheel racing that allows them to bang, I'm going to watch BTCC or Australian V8 supercars. They're just... It's better racing. Yeah. So, yeah. if you're telling me that now I need to tune in to some of the more iconic American tracks just to watch GT cars, no, screw off. Like, yeah. I... I Give me the prototypes. That's the only reason I want to tune in because I want to see how fast somebody can go around this track. I know this track. I want to see how fast they can go around it. I think especially because all the GTs are GT3 spec now. So it's not even like you're seeing unique cars at that track that you could only see in IMSA. And that's where I think the regulations where you have GT3 everything is great until you have GT3 everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because when you take away the prototypes and it's just GT3s, you think like, okay, well, I could watch this in DTM now because those are GT3s. I could watch this in WEC because those are all GT3s, and I can watch right. this in all these other series, the Pirelli series. Everything is GT3. So there's like nothing special about these particular GT3 cars other than it's the IMSA series, maybe the Premier series, you know? Right. And personally... I'm not about that. I'm more about like seeing cool cars, unique cars. Um, but I understand, you know, we get the GT3s make sense. But I'm just saying they might not make as much sense if you're only going to run the GTs. Yeah, I completely agree. There's just it's not exciting that the tracks are are too big for the cars that are too slow, and that's not necessarily an indictment on the GT cars. It's just they're not built for that type of track to be entertaining. Like they need, there's a reason that a lot of the Australian V8 supercars tracks are really tiny. You don't want to see a, a a formula type of racing on that track. It's not going to work for it. You there, certain tracks are built for certain types of series, and what they're what for some reason IMSA seems to be determined to do. I mean, there's a little bit of an excuse for Lime Rock, yeah. But what they seem to be determined to do is just anytime there's a a track that might be mildly con like pretty much if it's not your typical iconic endurance track you're not sending the prototypes which is just terrible like but it's just bad decision making there's just no excuse though because they run the prototypes and gts at uh, long beach yeah that's a, that's a great point like I, i've completely forgotten about that there there is absolutely no excuse so th like they're just talking out of both sides of their mouth for this situation yeah yeah 
that's why I've never understood it. Any, anytime I tune in and it's just the GTs, I'm like, so apparently this track wasn't okay to run both. But Long Beach? Yeah, send it. Totally fine, apparently. I mean, I guess the, the only thing I can think of is that the safety standards aren't up to, to FIA par or whatever. But it's, it's like, come on. I doubt it. I doubt it because Long Beach is just concrete walls everywhere. So I don't think that's a huge concern. But I, again, like you said, Lime Rock, you're like, okay, I you know what, that might get a little hectic. But also, that's kind of the point. And uh, an alternative is just run the prototypes a different day or the same day in a different race. So the GTs have their own race, and then the prototypes have their own race. That would still be more interesting than only running the GTs. Like, because would you buy a ticket and go to VIR to watch this IMSA race? Hell no. Right? Dude, you can't even get me to tune in on TV. Why the hell would I spend the money on a ticket? Right. Especially when all the cars now sound the same and look the same. Yeah. And there's no uniqueness. There's no, (coughs) excuse me. There's nothing pulling anybody into paying attention to this. Yeah. Like before when they had GTLM, the cars were unique. And it's like, if you wanted to see the mid-engine RSR, that was the only place to see it. And again, the GT3 regs make sense, but they don't make sense if you're going to be like, hey, do you want to come see only see these GTs? (laughs) No, I don't. Like that. It doesn't have the same value that a unique. Uh, category of cars does like the prototypes i totally agree i totally agree it's a bad decision they're just shocking we we don't agree with authority <laughs> contrarians yeah. um it's always, our nature always something to complain about but yeah that's uh that was kind of the my vrr the ir experience after watching the race so yeah overall f1 who would have thought was the best race this past weekend. I mean, I would have. Really? Oh, yeah, the Zanvort, I guess. You're <laughs> a big fan. I'm a Zanvort, a Zanvort fanboy, yeah. so, so that's, what, a, that's a bit of a mouthful there. Yeah. So what about Monza? Are you looking forward to Monza then? Not particularly. I mean, I'm looking forward to it in the sense that it's a Formula One race, but I'm not looking forward to Monza itself. Monza doesn't excite me in any way. Um, it's it's fine. It's, it's and track. It's Formula One racing. I'll tune in. Yeah. But... Uh, let me put it this way: College football is starting this weekend, so oh, yeah, no. my intention is going to be elsewhere. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, we'll have to wait and uh, see what happens, and then we'll talk about yeah that race. Uh, I guess is that next week or is it the week after? Uh, it. I believe it is this week. I just had it up. I literally just closed it out. Hang on. Oh man. I I want to say it said because it may have said twelve hours, but now I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, 11 hours, 56 okay. minutes. So that means that's the weekend. Yeah. All right. So, so it's we'll f- this weekend, Monza. We will find out how it goes. And we'll be and then don't forget about, about Vegas towards the end of the season. I I kind of don't want to even talk about it when after I, it I happens. I know. I'm going to keep reminding you of it, though, because I, <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> We're just going to title that podcast Rant. <laughs> yeah, we've got Monza, and then uh, two weeks from now, Singapore, followed by Japan, Qatar, Coda. Mexico, Brazil. Also, real quick, Vegas, Abu Dhabi. Isn't it kind of weird? You just listed all those tracks, right? That's Formula One. We're like halfway yeah. through the season. Yeah. IndyCar's done. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's my other problem with Formula One and the scheduling. I get that it is because it uh, it spans such a long period of time in the calendar year mm-hmm. uh, that they have to do specific races at specific times. But I have a real problem with something. Why is it that we're sitting here now? The, the championship, we already admitted it, is pretty much decided. Whether it's 
mathematically not decided, it's still, for all intents and purposes, decided, right? Yeah. We just had Hungary, Belgium, and Netherlands, right? Spa, Hung- uh, the Hungaro Ring, and Zandvoort. Three yeah. of the best tracks. Yeah. Championship had already been decided by all of those. Mm-hmm. You've got Kota coming up. Great track. Yep. You got Japan. Great track. Mexico, Brazil. Why are all these awesome tracks at the end of the calendar when the season means nothing? <laughs> you think they would be sprinkled throughout a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I get the logistics of having to travel, but no, then no, again, no, I don't no, think no, you... no, 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 no. Yeah, you, you, you have mistakenly thought that the FIA made a smart decision traveling to locations that make sense based off their geographical location. But have you seen the graphic of where they travel in the world throughout the season? I mean, if you have any basic understanding of geography, knowing that you go from the Middle East in the first two races to then <laughs> Australia to then back to. <coughs> Eastern Europe, then to the U.S., then, then to Italy, then back then to the Monaco, then to Spain, then back to Canada, <laughs> then back to, to Northern Europe. Yeah, it's like no. the only portion of the calendar that makes any sense is like Hungary, Belgium, and Netherlands. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and you might be able to make a case for the fact that you have Austria and England leading into that. So it's like, okay, at least those are relatively close. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't make any sense. But why sense. do you go from... Why do you go from Texas to Mexico to Brazil back to Vegas? <laughs> yeah, you'd think the Mexico-USA races would have been like the weekend I mean, after the next, you know? I get breaking up the, the calendar a little bit so you don't have back-to-back U.S. races to avoid confusion, but if that's the case, just tuck the Mexican Grand Prix in the middle of it. You can go like Texas, Mexico, Vegas. That's not that radical. Yeah, I agree. It makes no sense. It's it's weird. I, and then they know, end in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, back no back to the Middle East. Yep. Yeah, it's very strange. But uh yeah, plenty of races left still, which is yeah, crazy. So many races that means so little. Yeah. What's the best There's... race coming up? Is there any that are really good track wise? Yeah. I would say both Japan and Kota. I mean personally I think those are always great races. Okay. If you get rain in Brazil, that's that's a great race. Sao Paulo is always a lot of fun. Yeah. Like I said, Mexico is is interesting because it's got that stadium. It's not generally a great track, but like it's at least fun to watch because the fans are nuts. But yeah, I mean, it's like they really need to go back to Watkins Glen. Yeah, they do. But I mean, how many at at this point? I guess you get rid of Vegas. But how many Grand Prix do you need in the U.S.? You have three now. Why would you get rid of Vegas? It's going to be such a great race. Well, that's true. You would have to get rid of Coda, obviously, the yeah, worst race of the season. Definitely. With the track the the one track that everybody hates. <laughs> uh it, it that might be the best track on the entire calendar. It's the best new track for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Silverstone does always provide something good. Obviously Zandor. I, I still have that, never that recovered from them changing the layout of Silverstone though. Oh I know. I think it's gotta I'm be because so of the confused. amount of racing we did in Forza Four on the <laughs> It totally circuit. is. I I just I can't. I cannot mentally understand I can't where I'm it. at. <laughs> every, I cannot do it. Yeah, every time you're like, All right, we're at the start finish, you're like, No, this isn't this <laughs> it looks like the start finish. You're like Yeah. I guess it's not. <laughs> Yeah, and then all of a sudden you're like, how the hell are they at Maggots and Beckett's? When the hell did that come in? Like, that, I swear to God, they were on the other side of the track. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's a weird one. It's, it's, it's a very different layout. Yeah. Apparently a lot of people like it. I, yeah. I guess if you were, if you didn't see the old one and you just saw the new one, I can see that. But I just can't, un, I can't get the old layout out of my head. Yeah. 
I, even if I look at the map, the actual layout, it's still no like, sense. wait a minute, where? No idea. Where are we again? Yep. Yeah, I feel like I'm upside down and sideways. Yes. Yeah, inverted. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. With vertigo. <laughs> All right, we're going to call it there. We will reconvene next week and talk about Monza and probably complain about the Las Vegas track a little bit more. So, Vegas is going to be great. Yeah, so great. Just so great. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If you want to follow us, it's Motorsports and Focus on Facebook, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter. See you next week.